Well, Merry Christmas. Okay, so for the crowd of this size, that was the lamest response I've ever heard. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, if you're new with us, uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. We are so glad that you're here. And I got to tell you, I know we have a lot of people out of town, but if you're looking for a church home, a church family, we hope that you'll consider being a part of what God's doing at Zion. He's doing some pretty remarkable things. Amen. Uh, I know we're from Northern Iowa, so when I say something good, y'all can say amen. That's cool. Uh, last service, I had somebody go, yeah, that's true. And I'm like, okay, white people unite. Way to go. That's cool. <laughs> Just, you know, they don't know how to do the amen. So I'm like, whatever you want to say, that's great. Um, I, I cannot believe it's Christmas already, especially because it's like 75 degrees outside. I feel like I'm in Southern California. Uh, by the way, you're welcome because that's where I'm from. I brought it with me. So amen. Let it be. All right, there we go. Um, I think about how different things were last year at this time. Last year, because of COVID, we had shut down. We had to do online church. And I'm so grateful that we had online. But praise God that we are here today, tonight, for Christmas Eve. Amen? Amen. All right. See, now y'all getting a hold of it. Hang on, but way to go. That's great. I knew you could do it. Uh, I've been thinking about Christmas in preparation for today. I couldn't help but think about all the ridiculous, crazy amounts of Hallmark-type movies going on in my house. Anybody else watching Christmas movies all the time? Uh, now, so here's the deal. Up until this year, I couldn't stand them. But then I was watching one with my wife. My wife left, and I kept on watching. And I was like, uh-huh, yeah. Are there any other men in this room who are willing to admit that you like Hallmark Christmas movies by me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You all can go now. No, I'm just joking. And, and here's the thing, I was thinking about these Christmas movies, and I don't know if you know this, but there's only a certain amount of like plots that can happen in these movies, so I've written nine of them out. I didn't make these up, I found them online, uh, and so check this out. Some of you, last service, this is when someone's like, yep, amen, that's true. All right, first Hallmark movie Christmas plot. The main character comes back from their big city job to their small hometown. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Here's the best part. We're the small hometown. So if you're from the big city, welcome to Clear Lake, Iowa, or welcome home. The second one, there's always some big relationship misunderstanding that everybody's like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Everybody knows what happens. Third one, someone is secretly in love with their best friend. Yep. Fourth, some corporate big shot comes to shut down a small town factory shop or lodge only to see the light because of... Christmas love. Amen, baby Jesus. Santa or an elf are secretly involved to save the day. Sixth, kids play matchmaker for their single parents so that they can come together. Seven, the successful woman has to choose between work or family and love. Eight, the boyfriend is secretly a prince of a small nation no one's ever heard of. And I just saw one last night where it was a princess, and I was like, see, equal opportunity. It's all good. And then ninth, and I don't care what anybody says, an NYPD police officer has to save his wife and several others taken hostage by German terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza. I don't care what y'all say, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It is a Hallmark Christmas movie. It's a Christmas miracle is what it is. I was thinking about this 
And here's the thing about Hallmark Christmas movies. All of them have one thing in common. There's always some sort of detour that gets them to their final destination. Things never go as planned. And here's the thing. I was thinking about Christmas. And everybody in this room already knows how the end of this story goes. You've been to probably more Christmas messages than you can think about. You've heard them all. And and I'll be honest, this is part of the reason why I struggle with Christmas Eve. And same thing with Easter, because Easter, everybody knows what's happening. Christmas Eve, we all know why we're here. But here's the thing. I think sometimes we've forgotten that the Jesus story was not a Hallmark movie. Yes, we have a Virgin Mary. We have a faithful husband-to-be, Joseph They come to the town of Bethlehem because of a census. There's no room in the inn, so they end up delivering Jesus in a manger. There's shepherds, angels, and a bunch of other Snoopy characters. And here's the thing is that we forget that these were real people. That Joseph and Mary were a real couple who were betrothed in marriage. And God threw them a massive detour. In fact, they weren't planning on these things. As I started reading through the story of Jesus' birth again, I was reminded to not read it as a finished story, but rather if I were to be in their shoes, if you were to be in their shoes, I tried to put myself in Mary's shoes, that's just weird, so I would put myself in Joseph's and I started thinking through, what must this have been like for Joseph? What must it have been like for Mary? What about the shepherds and the magi? Now let's think about Mary for a moment. Mary, they in a very different culture than ours. Mary was considered a woman at 13 years old. And at 13, she's betrothed to an older man, probably 19 or 20, a man named Joseph. Now I understand that might sound weird for our culture, but in the ancient world, it was not uncommon for a 13-year-old to marry a 20-year-old. In their world, she was already an adult. Now, in that culture, betrothal was a contract that said, this woman has been set aside for this man. And in the eyes of the law, they were technically already married. It just hadn't been finished yet, what they call consummation. Well, they're preparing this life, and here's what happens. Mary, this young woman, an angel of the Lord Gabriel appears to her in Luke 1.28, And this is what happens. The angel appears to Mary and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, the next verse is interesting in the story because it says, Mary was greatly troubled. But what the angel said next could potentially be even more troubling for Mary. This is what he says. You have been found favor with God And you're going to give birth to a son. His name shall be Jesus. He will be the savior of the world. Now, obviously, Mary has some questions. Namely, she's a virgin. She's not married yet. So naturally, if you're a woman, you're thinking, how is this possible? How is this going to happen? And Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is going to come upon you, and the child is going to be born of flesh and born of God, God in flesh, the child Jesus. Now, here's the thing about the Bible. 
The Bible is a story. It tells us a story. It doesn't do every detail. It doesn't tell every part. We only get glimpses of what's going on inside of Mary when it says that she was troubled. And I think there's a better word for troubled, probably confused, scared, unsure, uncertain. How many of you right now maybe are feeling a little uncertain in life? Maybe at this moment, there's, you've got some family stuff going on. Maybe someone's sick. Maybe your marriage is struggling. But Mary's response to the angel, in spite of all of this, is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel leaves her. Now, here's the thing about the story. Because the Bible story doesn't tell us everything, we're reading this as 21st century readers. Why was Mary afraid when the angel first appeared to her? Well, first of all, has anybody here had an angel appear to you and talk to you? I'm not saying it can't happen. I know of people who have had encounters with the angelic. This is not a common occurrence. So no wonder she's a little concerned or a little confused or troubled. Why is God sending an angel to this 13-year-old woman? Gabriel then tries to encourage her that she doesn't need to be afraid because she has found favor with the living God, the God of the Jews. Now, here's the thing. What God is asking of Mary may seem less like favor and more like trouble. Let me give you some perspective. I can guarantee you 100% this was not Mary's plan for her life. What Mary thought was going to happen is Joseph would come soon bring her with the wedding party. And this is all part of Jewish culture. They would have this huge party and this train of people and they would be married. They would consummate the marriage and they would have a life together. And then God interrupts. God brings a detour. Now all of a sudden, here's what Mary is forced to think about. She now has to go to Joseph, her betrothed, her husband-to-be, and tell her that she's pregnant. Now, I don't need to go into all the detail because we have children present. But you can imagine if she's supposed to save herself for her wedding day, if she comes to Joseph and says she's pregnant, what's Joseph going to think? She had an affair. And imagine then her saying, oh, but don't worry, it's God's. If someone came to you and said, hey, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's God's, what would y'all's response be? "Uh Uh-huh, sure. Not only that, Joseph, she doesn't know how Joseph is going to respond. What if Joseph actually divorces her even before the marriage starts? What if he divorces her and now she's got to look her parents in the eye? She's got to convince all these people about, no, 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 you don't understand. This is God's. This is God's child. I promise I didn't do anything wrong. Now, here's the thing. In our culture today, it's not uncommon for people to have babies out of wedlock. In the ancient world, if you had an affair, if you had a child out of wedlock, there are a couple options that could be happened. First, you could be kicked out of your community. But secondly, adultery, unfaithfulness was against the law. If Joseph wanted to, he could have Mary brought before a Jewish council and then ultimately she could be killed. You think that might have played into her concern a little bit? But now what about Joseph's story? God comes to Joseph, and here's what we find in Joseph's story. Matthew 1.19, because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, 
He had in mind to divorce her quietly. You may not realize this, but what it means is Joseph didn't believe her. All of her fears came true in that moment. Joseph, and, and again, we 2,000 years later hearing the story every Christmas Eve, we don't give it a second thought. But if it happened today, who would believe you? Who would believe her? Joseph is not uncaring or unkind. What we find is he's actually a very compassionate man. And he decides, you know what? I'm not going to marry her because she's been unfaithful, but I'm going to do this quietly because I don't want to cause her harm. Joseph is a good man. Joseph falls asleep and an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Joseph, what Mary said is true. She is with the Lord's child. Take her as your wife. Be her husband. Now, God is throwing Joseph a detour. He's throwing Mary a detour, and now he's throwing Joseph. Now, here's the thing. Um, I know no one would know this now if you've, my, if you've ever seen my son. My son is a spinning image of me. But when he was born, he had very olive skin, and his nose looked nothing like mine. And I turned to my wife, and I said, is there something you need to tell me, babe? And, and I, knew, I knew he was mine. I wasn't concerned about that. We, she's Italian, and that was a very normal thing for the men in her side of the family. Joseph knew that Jesus was not his. And what's interesting is as soon as he wakes up from the dream, the scripture tells us that he goes and grabs Mary, he moves up the wedding date, and he marries her, and again, Mary's not like six months pregnant. She might have been a week pregnant, two weeks pregnant. We, don't, we know it's not long. Joseph marries her. Why does he marry her so quickly? Because he wants the world to believe that Jesus is his, not illegitimate. I want you to take a moment. For those of you who have children or are pregnant right now, when you were pregnant, how many of you had people who came up to you and congratulated you on being pregnant? I remember those, good job, Jason, way to go. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. Think of all the people who went up to Joseph and said, Joseph, congratulations, and him knowing that's not my kid. Now, Joseph adopted Jesus, and here's what I want you to hear. This is a side note, but I think this matters. Adoption is near to God's heart. God loves adoption. In fact, it says that we are adopted as sons and daughters of the king when we place our faith in Jesus. Jesus, God in flesh, was adopted by Joseph. Joseph would raise Jesus as his own, knowing that he was God's. But here's the thing. This was not part of Joseph's plan, yet God used it. Now, here's what I want you to hear. See, as soon as this happens, Mary is getting further and further along in her pregnancy. And then Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, declares a worldwide census. Now that means all the Roman Empire and says, I want a census. Therefore, wherever you were born, everybody must go back to their hometown. Joseph and Mary live in Nazareth. They have to travel 60 miles without a car, but not by train, not by plane. They have to take a horse or a donkey or a wa or walk they have to walk 60 miles to get back to Joseph's hometown. And once they get there, what happens? You all know the story. 
they go into a house. Now, most of you don't know this. Bethlehem was not a very big community. Uh, they found it re like in the last probably 50, 60 years. And there's maybe, I think they estimate around 30 to 40 different homes. It wasn't this massive motel that they went into and the guy's like, sorry, there's no room in the inn. No, it was probably a family member's house, but other people got there first. Why? Because Mary was probably 13 months pregnant by then. And I don't know, how many of you ever traveled with a pregnant wife who's about ready to give birth? That's not an easy feat. So here's what happens. They get there and again, they encounter another, another detour. They can't have, they can't give birth to Jesus in the comfort of a home they end up having to find a place where the animals get shelter. And it's not a barn. It's not a wood stable. Most likely it was a cave. And there Jesus is born. And yet we find another detour in scripture. After Jesus is born, there are shepherds out wandering with their sheep, caring for their sheep. Now, we may not know this, but shepherds were considered the lowest of the low. You didn't want to associate with shepherds. They were kind of rough around the edges. They smelled funky because they were always around livestock. And an angel comes to the shepherds and tells them that the king of Israel has been born. The shepherds then have to take a detour either with their sheep or leave their sheep. I guarantee you they didn't leave their sheep, which meant they had to take the herd with them. And when they come and they meet Jesus, they worship. And then it says they go out. Did you know the first evangelists was a group of shepherds? They were the first ones to go out and tell people the king has been born. Now, there's another group that has a detour that we don't even realize what a significant thing it is. How many of you guys ever heard of the Magi, the wise men? Do you know actually who the Magi and wise men were? The Magi were not Jewish. They weren't even Roman. They were from the Persian Empire. They were Persian magician and astrologers who, because of their own divination, God used their religion to point them to Jesus. They look up into the sky and they discern by a star that is now all of a sudden out of nowhere over Bethlehem, these magi go, that means the king of Israel has been born. I don't get it. I don't understand how God used it, but he did. These magi, who were not three, there might have been dozens, maybe 60 of them, they come to Herod, who at this point is the governor, the king of Israel, but he's not really a king. He's actually been placed there by Caesar as kind of a puppet king. The magi come on a detour of their own, and they tell Herod, we've seen the sign. The king of Israel has been born in Bethlehem. Herod gets freaked out because he wants his power. And so he gathers the Magi and says, listen, I want to celebrate this king with you. Can you go find him for me? But here's the thing. What Herod intended to do was to use the Magi to track down Jesus so he could murder him. The Magi are on their way to go and meet the king of Israel, a king they didn't even believe in. And when they get there, they bring gifts and they worship at the feet of a God they don't even know. And as they're getting ready to leave to head back to Herod, an angel of the Lord tells them, do not go back. Head home. God brought a detour into the Magi's life. Now Joseph and Mary are here in Bethlehem. And the Lord tells them in a dream, another angel comes and says, Joseph... You need to leave. Herod plans on killing Jesus. Now, Joseph and Mary pick up their newborn child 
and they flee from Bethlehem to over 300 miles in the desert of Egypt. Do you think that was a detour they planned on taking? One detour after another, every detour. But here's the thing. Every one of those detours was God's provision. See, when we think about Christmas, often what we think of is peace on earth, goodwill to men, joy to the world, let's do happy, good things. And those are all true. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. That is a wonderful thing. All of these are true. But as I was processing through what in Christmas, what does God want to speak Would you say that the last two years has been kind of a detour for our world? That things have not gone the way we planned? That whether it be the the rioting that took place or the protests or COVID or all the other financial stuff, we have had one detour after another. How does Jesus want to speak? How does the Holy Spirit want to speak to you and to me today in the midst of Christmas so that it's not just one more Christmas message? I think maybe what God wants to show us is that God works through the detours. When we look at the story of Jesus, we have Mary's detour, Joseph's detour, the shepherd's detour, the magi's detour. What if Christmas is meant to remind us that God never promised life would be easy, but that he would be in it with us? I think someone here needs to hear that tonight. Maybe you feel like you've been left abandoned by God. You need to hear this. He hasn't left you. He's still here. You may not feel him. You may not know it, but he's there. What if God uses these detours in our lives to bring blessings, even if they're not immediate blessings? I want to share very quickly these four detours, and I hope that maybe God is going to speak to somebody in here tonight. Maybe one of these applies to you. Because God is wanting Christmas to do something in you. That it's more than just attending a service. Let's talk about uh, Mary's detour real quick. God's vision for your life will far outweigh the dreams you have for your own life. I don't know about you, but I've had dreams in my life and sometimes God has upended those. He's brought a detour. You want to know why God brings detours for some of you? Is that the vision of your life is too small. In fact, you need a vision bigger than you. That's God's vision for your life. Here's the question that I have from you, from Mary. Have you considered that maybe God has brought some detours in your life because he wants to change the vision and direction of your life? Or how about the second detour, Joseph's detour? Sometimes God asks you to go out of the way to get out of his way. Sometimes God put you in situations that are uncomfortable, that you have to go out of your way, but maybe God is asking you to go out of your way so you can get out of his way. So that God can do something miraculous in somebody's life. Joseph had to go out of his way. He had the right. He had every right to divorce Mary, but he went out of his way to obey God, to take Mary as his wife, to raise Jesus as his son. Maybe God is asking you to step out in faith when it comes to a job, when it comes to giving, when it comes to sharing Jesus with a family member, or maybe just to simply go above and beyond for a neighbor. Maybe God wants to use that. Maybe, just maybe, when you go out of your way to be a blessing, to be faithful, God wants to use that to move in someone else's life or maybe even move in yours. The third detour The shepherd's detour. 
God sometimes needs to change your location to reveal the bigger picture or maybe even the bigger calling. Had you asked me six years ago, where do you want to live next? I would not have said Clear Lake, Iowa. And yet God brought us here and I praise God for that. I think about where my family is. God needed to change my location to change my perspective. Some of you, God is in the business of wanting to change your perspective and maybe it means going someplace a little uncomfortable. But what about the Magi? See, the Magi are the one that I really think this might apply to some people here tonight. I don't want to assume that because you're at a church that you're a Christian. Some of you are here because mom said you needed to be here for Christmas service. The Magi didn't realize they were coming to meet God in flesh, not just the king of the Jews, but the king of the world. They didn't realize they were meeting Jesus, creator of the universe. God gave them a sign to bring them so that they might encounter God. Listen to this. Sometimes you might be looking for one thing and God uses a detour to show you the better thing. Maybe you're here tonight because you're not following Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight. God brought you here that you might have a detour that you might Say, I want that guy. I want Jesus as my king. Because I'll tell you, following Jesus is the greatest detour you will ever take. Amen? Amen? That doesn't mean it's without risk. It doesn't mean it's not hard. Sometimes the world may have one plan for your life, but God often has another plan for your life. If you're not a Christian, I want to invite you. Come. Come and worship the king. Our king is not a baby anymore. He is the sovereign creator who rules in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is God who became flesh, who now is the king worthy of our honor, praise, and glory. We celebrate his birth, but ultimately, this day wouldn't matter if it wasn't for Easter. I need you to hear this, and if you're not hearing anything, if this is the only thing you need to hear, this is it right now. God has brought detours into every single one of our lives. The question is, are you willing to take the chance in following the king? Are you willing to let that detour, following Jesus, be a detour that'll change everything for you? I hope so, because I'm telling you, it's worth it. Amen? Amen.